couldn't do this with a really great team beside me because people work with me. They don't work for me. That is the reason why I can do all of the things that I can do. You're listening to Your Financial Planner Now What, the podcast to help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. Welcome to episode 92. We're excited to have Rianca Dorsonville with us today. She's a CFP professional and founder of Your Greatest Contribution. You may know her from her work with NextGen Leadership and with the CFP board. Most recently, Rianca launched a podcast titled 2050 Trailblazers to discuss diversity and inclusion in the financial planning profession. She joins us to share her story and the cornerstone of not just her financial planning practice, but her life. Straight ahead, Rianca talks about being a disruptor, how to evolve your career, and the importance of connecting with people who are ready to push for positive change. Today's podcast is brought to you by Signature Investors. Signature is a national network of independent advisory firms committed to developing the next generation of financial advisors and creating sustainable businesses to serve clients and their families for years to come. Signature's advisor team model provides a blueprint for establishing a team, including various defined career paths from internships to lead advisor positions. To download this blueprint, visit adviceteams.com forward slash FPA and learn how to start building your team today. Well, thanks for joining us today, Rianca. Thank you so much for having me, Hannah. So first of all, I have to say congratulations for the Investment News Women to Watch Rising Star Award that you just received. Thank you so much. It is so exciting to see uh, women like you really being successful um, in their career at such a young age. Did you ever think that you would get to that point at such an early... Well, number one, did you ever think you'd get to that point, much less at an early, a young age? Uh, To be honest, Hannah... I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know for sure is that I have always been um, very mindful and passionate about what I do. Um, And so I think because of that, uh, I I don't do anything just to do it. I do it and there is a purpose behind it. Um, And I and whatever I do, I do it with a lot of passion. And I and I think it shows. Uh, So I've been like that since I've been a young girl. Um, in middle school and high school, I see that there is something that I feel like I can help or change or make a difference. And I always raise my hand. Like I was class president when I was in high school. I ran for vice president of the SGA when I was in college. So it's I have a track record of not being able to just sit on the sidelines and do something about it. Uh, and I think it's just overflowing into my uh, professional career. So did you know that you always wanted to get into financial planning? No, actually. Uh, when I was younger, and I remember this, in the fifth grade, we had career day. And I dressed up as a doctor because my Nana was a nurse. And so I just wanted to follow in her footsteps. I saw how she was helping other people. And so that's what I wanted to do. Uh, she had all these books around. Um, I loved watching ER <laughs> as a young kid. <laughs> yep. And I was like, oh, this looks so, so cool. She had her uh, stethoscope, um, you know, so I would just walk around just wearing it all the time. And um, so that's what I wanted to be. Uh and when I um, got much older, uh, I, s- somewhere it changed. Um, I turned to have a love for math because 
there it was very exact. Like A plus B equals, I don't know, A B. <laughs> I don't know, but they, with math, there was something exact about it that you know you're right or you're wrong. Um, and so I just turned to have a love for math. And then that love for math turned into helping other people who were having trouble with it. And that's actually how I met my husband. I was tutoring him in high school. That's a long story. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, but it turns out, Hannah, that he he's uh, a brilliant, smart person. And he was he knew what he was doing the entire time. And he didn't tell me until our engagement party <laughs> six years later. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a long story, maybe for uh, another podcast on relationships. But um, here we are almost 15 years later still together. Anyways. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah. So I have a love for helping people. Um, and in middle school, high school, I turned to have a love for math. Um, and then I paired the two and I started helping other people uh, with math, uh, got to college. That was my major. Um, I declared it to be a math major. And then my sophomore year, I took a class called Vector Geometry Calculus. That was one class, Hannah. <laughs> and I got a C minus in that class. I was like, and this is no longer for me. <laughs> So I immediately tried to find, all right, what else is there to do? I took a, an, an elective course. It was personal finance 101. I can't remember the exact name of it, but um, this is where I learned about disability insurance, uh, credit scores, social security. And my eyes lit up because I was like, wow, here is an actual actual knowledge that is tangible that I can use not only today, but for the rest of my life. And again, knowing my history of being that type of person that feels like, okay, if I can make a difference, if I can fill a void, I will. So I became that financial guru person in college and started spreading the good gospel of personal finance amongst my peers. And like, hey, did you know this student loan, you're going to have to pay it back six months after you graduate and <laughs> you're probably incurring interest. So make sure you're taking out, you know, as as much as you actually need um, not to go shopping. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. So you really bought into this idea of financial planning really is like a helping profession. Is this something to to use what you're naturally good at to help other people? Yes, yes. And for, for those of us who are financial planners, we know that that's exactly what this profession is about. It's about helping others. Uh, it's about building relationships. Uh, there's a lot of misconceptions and myths about um, financial planning. Uh, it's all about numbers. And definitely, if you have a love for math, there are pathways that you can take where you can heavily focus on something like investments or, um, and, you know, staying behind the scenes, being the data person. There's nothing wrong with that. Everyone doesn't have to be a lead advisor um, if that's not what you want to do. Uh, but for me personally, I love that client interaction. Um, and, and numbers is a, is a small part of what we do is, uh, well, it's, it's a big part, but the biggest part is building relationships and building that trust with that client. Um, because you are learning things that 
most people don't know about. Honestly, sometimes you learn things that their spouse don't even know about. Mm-hmm. And that's huge. That's a huge responsibility. Yeah, very much that confidant for a lot of people. Yes. So I know a lot of new planners find this idea of this helping profession, really want to help people. And then they get into, quote, the real world in their first (laughs) jobs in the profession. Um, What was that like for you kind of making that transition of being completely bought into this idea of financial planning to actually doing financial planning? Well, you know, Hannah, I was really lucky uh, because the firm that I started off with, they believed that in order to be a successful financial planner, you had to be in the meetings. And so my first month, I believe it was, I was sitting in client meetings. So I started off as a paraplanner. I'm not a huge fan of that term, paraplanner, only because, so this is me, my first tangent of our interview. (laughs) (laughs) Paraplanner, um, when clients hear that word, they automatically compare it to a paralegal. And with a paralegal, you don't necessarily have that foundation of education to become a lawyer. Um, You just have, you know, this set of knowledge that is capped at what paralegals do. For paraplanners, we actually have that set of knowledge and education so that we can continue to advance to be a CFP or a certified financial planner. So, um, Though paraplanner is used widely, I would advocate for us to start using associate financial planner or associate financial advisor, because that's exactly what we are. We have the education. Now it's just us actually going through and getting our experience so that we can become that lead uh, financial planner or financial advisor. So that's my first tangent. All right. Going back to your actual question (laughs) Um, of... um, you know, did I expect with what I was assuming, did I get what I expected? And the answer is yes. Um, so again, the first month I started my, um, at at my new job at, at the firm, they, we were in client meetings and, um, we were, our responsibility was to be a sponge and to listen. And what I appreciate what I appreciated about that time that we kind of get a little antsy um, as new planners because we are eager and ready to just start, you know, giving advice and everything. But I believe your first couple of years out of school should just be listening, being a sponge and learning body language. Um you know, I took notes, I did the paperwork and, um, it came a time where the client looked to me to ask questions about the paperwork. And though it's just, it's only paperwork, but you felt so empowered because it's like, I did this, I took ownership. I know exactly what, you know, these paperworks, uh, mm-hmm. or, or, or how to answer the question for this paperwork. And if anyone has ever filled, filled out a brokerage account form or, a transfer or rolling over of the 401k into the rollover IRA. It's not easy paperwork. And and now I feel like I'm dating myself. Now we can probably do it all electronically. <laughs> <laughs> but but back in my day, 
<laughs> well, we had to highlight the paperwork and put sticky notes in there. You f- you feel empowered and you're and you can answer those questions. And then you sit, you learn body language, you take notes, and then it's the it's the lead advisor or the senior advisor that goes back, read the notes and say, hey, Rianca, great job on catching this or um, or you missed something and, and here's what you missed. And it's these little nuances uh, that the um, it's these little nuances that the senior advisor or lead advisor catch that you may not catch. And it's a learning opportunity and learning moment, but you don't catch it if you're not sitting in the meetings. Um, and so. So, yeah, I, I know that there are some firms out there that don't allow their senior or excuse me, their pair planners or associate planners to sit in the meetings. And I think they're completely missing out. Uh, they're missing out on so much uh, training that they that they can be giving their pair planners or associate planners. Um, and it it's it's stunting the growth of that person and that person's career, because I learned so much just listening and sitting mm-hmm. in on those meetings. And it, uh, and then at that time, also, I was building a relationship with the client. Even if I said hello and goodbye, um, it was still like, oh, okay, this person could put a face to a name. Oh, this is Rianca. So your first job out of school, how long did you stay there? I was there for almost five years. Almost five years. I was oh, at wow. my first firm. Yeah. Um, it was, again, great learning uh, comprehensive financial planning firm. Um, they actually taught me what it what it meant to be a comprehensive financial planner, uh, and so that that was my um, example to go upon. So when people say like, "Oh yeah, I'm a comprehensive financial planner," but the only thing you talk about is investments, you know, I look at you sideways. <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh, <laughs> so what prompted, so you have this great job, you have this great firm. What prompted you to, to move on to a different role or different company? You know, um, it was, it was time for me to, to go. Um, and you know how in relationships I, I, I view uh, the best analogy I can view it is as a relationship in that first couple of years, it was great. Um, with any type of relationship, you go through growing pains. You're learning me. I'm learning you. I'm learning what buttons I can push. They're learning what buttons they can push. They know how far to push me. I know how far to push them. Um, and then it's and then it's great. And then it's more growing pains and it's more growing pains. And um, I felt that I... It's, it started to be, it's me, it's not you. And so so that we can just have um, a good relationship going forward, it, it's time for me to spread my wings. And if anyone personally knows me, they know I am a bird that cannot be caged. <laughs> and I started to feel that way, where I truly believe, for me personally, that I am a certified financial planner. I am a financial planner, but I'm so much more. And I have so much to give to this world that if you hold me hostage to my title of just a financial planner, you're not allowing me to give all of my gifts to this world. And so I had to leave. Okay, let's let's 
talk about that really quick, because I think that's a really interesting point that you're making, that you're more than your title of financial planner. Like when you say that, what does that mean for you? I believe sometimes we get stuck in what it says on the paper that our role is. So as a associate financial planner, you do X, Y, and Z, and then it stops. Or when you're the lead financial advisor, financial planner, it says X, Y, and Z, and then you stop. Again, for me, I see that and I see that, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do. Like that's what I'm getting paid for. However, I have so much more to give. And sometimes what ends up happening is that the firm owners look to you and be and say, well, this is what, this is all that I expect of you. Of course, like you can do a little bit more, but, but that's it. Um, and so then they hold you hostage to that title. And what I, what I mean by I'm so much more than that is, yes, I'm a financial planner, but I'm also an educator. I'm also a community leader. I'm also a mentor. I'm also a mentee. And sometimes those things are going to take me out of the office. But that's not necessarily, those things will never come in the way of what I know what comes first, which is my clients. And if you are at a traditional firm and the firm has been doing things a certain way for over 20 years. And for someone like me, who is kind of a disruptor, and I say that in the most positive way, <laughs> a, a disruptor and saying like with technology, right? Tech, tech, technology right now is a disruptor yeah. um, because it's we have the robo advisors, which is just technology for investments. They're not true advisors, but um, we have the robo advisors. Like that's a disruption of technology. We have virtual firms now. That's a disruption. Um, so that's what I mean by, you know, just being that disruption of saying, hey, we can do things a different way. Honestly, all of the new pa- uh, planners that are coming into, that are coming into um, this career into this profession, they're all disruptors because they are looking at things in a new light. And some people look at that as a negative where I look at that as a positive. And I'm saying, if we're going to continue to move this profession forward, we have to disrupt what has been going on um, so that we can stay with the pace of what's happening around the world. This idea of that we're all disruptors. Like, I think that's a really powerful idea of realizing, you know, you look at, I was talking to somebody recently about disruptive, like disruptive leadership and, you know, new planners coming into this profession. They're not the future leaders of the profession. They're like the leaders today today of the profession. Yes. And I think that's such an important point and such an important thing for new planners to realize. And to me, that's like the most exciting thing for entering this profession is like the impact that you can have in your first couple of years. I mean, it can be so powerful on firms and the profession at large. I definitely agree. I definitely agree. And and for for me the lens that I that I'm looking through and um you know, I've said this before, you will be the disruptor or you will be the disrupted. And I hope that these firm owners want to be on the disruptor side, meaning they are looking at technology and seeing that as 
a tool um, that they can use from an advantage standpoint and um, and to and to also help move the profession forward. We have video technology where now we don't have to physically ask clients to come into the office. We can have clients that I'm on the East Coast. I'm in the DC area. So we can have clients in California. We can have clients in Italy. We can have clients literally all over the world. And we can still build a really great relationship with them because it's not just a phone call. It's like video. And so they can actually see us. We can see into their homes. I can meet their cats or dogs. I can meet their children. Um, and where a lot of that cannot take place necessarily in an office. So from a disruption standpoint, it's technology. And you will either try to fight it or you will embrace it. And for the new planners coming in, what I will ask of them is please have patience because the firm owners have been in this profession for 15, 20, maybe even 25 to 30 years. And so they have been used to doing things a certain way. And for them, that's safe. Um, and and maybe they are almost at a point where they're about to retire, where they're just like, you know what? I don't, yep. I don't want to do anything different. You know, like I, I, I just, I just want to do things the way I know how to do it. And that's it. And if that's the mindset they have, don't fight it. Because that's who they are and you cannot change them. Then there are firm owners who have been in the profession for 20 years, 20, 30 years, and they are embracing change. They're like, oh, well, I can, you know, learn this bit of technology. Uh, let's try to bring this video technology into the um, into the office. Oh, you mean we can have a, a group discussion quarterly with our clients and, and they're embracing it. So again, you're going to be the disruptor or you're going to be disrupted. You are going to embrace, or you're going to try to fight. And the, and the, and the firms who are fighting this new technology, the firms who are fighting these new ideas, they will be the disrupted. Yeah. And I, and I would add, you know, there's, it's really frustrating being in the job when you're working with somebody who you can just, it's so obvious to you that they're going to be the ones getting disrupted. But just know that there's other planners out there who don't think like that. And if you don't see them, find them. Right. Like, go to FPA events, go to national yes. events, find those people because because those are your people. <laughs> those are the people you want to be associated with. Yes. Yeah. And you touch a, on a good point, Hannah, is that, um, you know, sometimes, especially as a new planner, your first firm is the only thing you know, like that is your world. And so you make the assumption that all firms are like this. And that is not true. That's the beauty about our profession. And that's kind of also the challenge. But the beauty is that all firms are not alike. And so, um, and all clients, you know, all the, you know, the, the subset of clients that you're working with, they're not the same at every firm as well. So if you are truly not, if you are truly not living or bringing your full self forward, if you don't feel comfortable bringing your full self forward every single day at your firm, you're not at the right firm. And now it's just like what Hannah said, you go to these uh, conferences, you go to the FPA annual conference, you go to gathering, retreat, 
residency, you find your people and you and you just chat with them. And I'm pretty sure there's going to be a firm out there that fits for you because the world is missing out. If you are not bringing your full self forward every single day, if you're not bringing your full self forward with the passions, with the gifts that you have been blessed with, then the world is missing out. The profession Mm -hmm. is missing out. You know, I was talking to someone the other day um, and he is a minority. He, um, you know, he's a minority in a sense uh, from an ethnic standpoint. And he shared with me that he feels like he can't, maybe from a confidence standpoint, can't be like his true self. And everyone has a different upbringing. Everyone has a, a different starting line. So when you start to hear these stories, listen, don't, don't place judgment or like, oh, it shouldn't be that hard or da, 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 da. Like, just listen, first of all. Um, and so when I was listening to his story, this is the exact same thing I, I shared with him. You, we, we need you to be confident. We, we need you to bring your full self forward because of the gifts that you share. And, you know, he started sharing with me of his upbringing and, and all of this. And I'm like, we need to hear that because you can resonate with clients. And so clients can then open up more because they're learning more about you. So the more you share about yourself, the more the clients are going to share about themselves. And that's when that, that trust starts to happen. That's when you're building relationships where for some firms where their bread and butter is how the market is doing and they're focused on investments. These are the clients that are, that are going to stay when the market tanks because they have a personal relationship with you and their value of you as their advisor or their planner is not placed on how well the market is doing. It's placed on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's such a important point. And that like, what makes you different actually sometimes is your most valuable asset when working with clients yes. or, or engaging in the profession. It's, it's, that's what helps you stand out. Like that's what, that's, what's going to draw people to you um, that no, that they don't feel comfortable anywhere else. Like what a gift to those people that when you bring your full self to them. Yes. And if at any profession, this is the profession to do it. Yep. Like your, everyone is different and that's the beauty about it. You know, everyone is different. Everyone has a different upbringing. And you being able to share your story with clients is empowering because then they can share their story with you as well. Mm -hmm. I was talking to a girl, her family moved, immigrated here and her English, she didn't feel like her English was good enough to be a financial planner. And Mm. it was so fascinating to me because she was, she was talking about like the confidence of this. And I'm just like, why do you have to speak in English? When you're doing financial planning, Mm. what a gift to your community if they could go and instead of them struggling with their English too, that they could actually talk to somebody in, in, in their native language, their native language. Yes. What a gift. And that's, and that falls under diversity, right? Mm -hmm. And, and the inclusion that we need to start highlighting in this profession, instead of trying to have everyone fit the mold of what this profession has been for the past 20 years, which is working with millionaires, um, working with older clients who are pre-retirees or retirees, like we can, we can meet the clients where they are instead of the clients meeting us where we are. 
It's an entrepreneur's dream profession, I say. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're both entrepreneurs, right? So we, we know exactly how fulfilled we both feel in our roles as, um, as business owners. So, yeah. So when did you decide that you were going to become an entrepreneur? I didn't decide. My health decided for me. And um, I don't I don't share this story too often, but I think I can be open with you, Hannah. <laughs> it's just you and I listening in, right? Just us. No big deal. It's just us. Honestly, what happened and again, feeling going back to I don't want to be held hostage to my title. That's what I started feeling again at my second firm. Again, like th there are people who are still there who are thriving and loving what they're doing. And that's totally fine. So it's me, Hannah. I figured out it's me. <laughs> it's me. Um, and so what happened was I, before I left my first firm, I, I had this desire of launching my own firm. But I wasn't confident enough. Um, though I had my CFP uh, designation, I don't know. It, you, you go into this like, I'm too young. I'm a woman. Plus, I'm a person of color. Who's going to hire me? Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't confident at all to start my own firm. And so I went to the second firm. And... Um, and it was blissful again with relationships. Ooh, bliss, very blissful. It was a 180, um, felt support, all of this. And then I started getting these migraines about a year, a year into maybe it wasn't even a year, um, almost a year into my new firm. I started getting these migraines and there, there were some things I wanted to do like outside of work that. I felt restrained that I couldn't do because it's like, okay, well, what are they going to say if I do this again, not truly bringing my full self forward or being truly who I am. Um, so I started to say no to things where I really wanted to say yes. And so, um, I started getting these migraines to a point where it was de debilitating, where I had to go to the ER almost every weekend. And I had, I called out of work a couple work a couple of times because I couldn't move. Like opening my eyes was so painful. Wow. And it was because of work and it wasn't because of the environment. It was because that's not where God wanted me to be. And so I made the decision. I spoke with my husband um, and I said, Reggie, I think I have to start my own firm. I I cannot, like, I, I'm getting these migraines. And he was the one who was taking me to the hospital. So he knew, like, this was real. Um, and I said, I think it's because I need to, like, God has something else for me and this isn't it. And um, he said, all right, well, well, how are we going to do this? And so I put my financial planner hat on, um, you know, I became my own client, which um, eventually we hired an, another pair, uh, excuse me, another financial planner. But we looked at our budget. What will it look like living off of one salary? Um, how much should we be saving? You know, do we have enough in our emergency fund and all of that? So once we decided that I was going to leave, I, all of my paychecks, we started saving into just capital for the firm or, or whatever. And I tell you, Hannah, 
the moment I decided that I was going to start my own firm, the migraines went away. Hmm. So when I talk to people and what, whatever your religion may be, whatever your spiritual connection may be, um, listen, uh, because my health was at risk because I wasn't listening to what my calling was. And the moment I surrendered to what my calling was for my life, my health got better. And I haven't, it's, it's been almost three years, Hannah, and I have not had a migraine since. And so if that is not God just saying you're on your right path, I don't know what is. And since I've left and started my firm, I have done things <laughs> that I've never thought would happen. And just here recently um, in March, being the recipient of the inaugural Women to Watch Rising Star Award is just a testament to I am on my right path. That is so inspiring to hear. Um, I love it. So yeah, it, it's, you know, I think this is one of the professions that you can truly follow your calling, follow your passion. And it just so happens that for me personally, um, that's what needed to be done for me. Everyone doesn't need to be an entrepreneur though. Um, you can be an entrepreneur. Um, what I, what I share with uh, the young planners who have this desire to work with their cohort or their community is build a business case. Like, you know, if you just go to your uh, manager or your boss and saying, Hey, I want to work with young clients to them. What immediately comes to their, to their mind is like, all right, that's great. However, we're running a business. So how can we make sure that one, we can continue to pay your salary, but two, that it makes sense from a business standpoint to service these clients. So my advice to these young planners who want to work with younger clients, these thriving young professionals, build a business case so that when you're walking into this meeting, you're prepared. They're going to, they're going to ask you, well, how many clients you want to serve? And Make it clear that um, you will continue to serve the clients that you're servicing for the for for the firm. As far as like these millionaires, or you know, they have at least a million dollars of um, investable assets. You'll continue to serve them, but say, hey, m uh, Mrs. Boss Lady, can I bring on at least ten clients who may not be necessarily millionaires yet, but they will be. And, and and here's the salary range that we'll work with. Here are the type of professionals we'll work with. You know, who has a really good um, business case for this is FJY Financial. Uh, they work with thriving young professionals um, where they don't pay the actual retainer that the, you know, the normal pre-retirees or retirees pay. Um, even RTD, RTD uh, Financial, they also have a business, you know, this uh, as well. Check out their websites um, and you can get some more information on that um, because we're missing out. We are missing out if we are not working with these young professionals who are at an impressionable stage of their career and their life. They're going to say, 
when I needed help and no one else would take me, you did. And so they're going to become very loyal to you. Well, and even just the marketing case for that. So you look at like the costs, I mean, talking just like straight business, because you have to be able to speak the language of the business owners, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just from a business case, what's the marketing acquisition cost of a new client? And if you can onboard them for significantly less now, continue servicing them. And that in, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, you already have that client. Like you're, a client is paying you to be in your marketing pipeline. You know, it, it really is a compelling argument. Right. And for these young um, clients that you're bringing on, it's definitely a long play. Um, You may not make a profit for the first couple of years, but seeing the trajectory of their salary, seeing the trajectory of, you know, what they'll potentially be able to invest is a good business case. And even Hannah, as far as you were mentioning with um, the acquisition of a client, it's become cheaper. Like these particular clients, you don't necessarily have to ask them to come into the office. They can be clients that you just talk to um, through video uh, where it's a legit hour and you you turn on your your webcam, turn it off and it's an hour. You know, um, it, when I talk to other advisors and I tell them I've never met majority of my clients in person. Like some of my clients I've either... You know, I've known them from college and now they're reaching out or we just got the opportunity just through my travels and me reaching out to them, being able to meet them in person. But majority of my clients I have never physically met in person. And I have a phenomenal relationship with all of my clients. And they're like, how? I'm like, I am in their house. I know their cat's name. I see their cat. I see. I see. I see their children. They show me a new painting that they just got. They're walking around with their laptop, you know, sharing with me some of the things that is awesome to to them. They're showing me their bowling trophies that they just won because they go bowling every Wednesday at 7 p.m. And so I know I can never meet with them at that time. And so when their year anniversary came up, I um, sent them a gift certificate to one of the really nice bowling alleys here in DC where they could play a couple games. They can have a few cocktails and some food. And they were like, wow. Like, I was like, yeah, I listen. Yep. And so that's building relationships right there. Oh, I love that example. So you've talked a lot about being passionate about what you do, feeling the sense of calling. Um, and that really kind of helped you take the leap into starting your own firm. So when you started your own firm, what was your passion around that? Like, who did you want to serve? How did you want to serve it? Like, what was really that, that vision that drove you? So what drove me to start my firm was that a lot of people were reaching out to me, um, either colleagues of my husband, peers from, from school for me, peers from school for him. Um, and they uh, were reading articles that I was writing. So when I was at my first firm, I started a blog. It was called Golden Financial Nuggets because I was like, all right, we're learning this information. And this is information everyone can use, not just people who can pay us $10,000 per year retainer. And so I got approval <laughs> to start a blog because I wanted to share the knowledge. <laughs> Again, that's 
if I feel like doing something that can help a lot of people, I'm going to share it. And so that was my way of sharing. And so because I was planting those seeds, I didn't even know I was planting of just that knowledge and and being that uh, trusted person in their sphere of influence um, when it comes to personal finances. When people started to hit a pivotal point in their career, as far as, uh, you know, a huge salary jump or a huge bonus or um, something so special as expanding their family, I was the first person that they reached out to. And to continue to tell these people, I can't help you because you don't have $10,000 or you don't have, uh, you know, $10,000 in annual retainer or you don't have a million bucks of investable assets, it started to hurt. Like it started, it like it was, it, it started to hurt me personally saying, wow, I can't help you because you don't have money. And then I started to look at just me. Like I couldn't even afford to be a client of my own firm, nor could my family. Like I did not grow up rich. I did not grow up with the white picket fence. I grew up poor, <laughs> you know, like let's call a spade a spade. Yeah. That's That's how I grew up. And so now here are other people who are trying to break that cycle or, or, or break this chain of um, being financially illiterate. And now they're trying to expand their personal finance knowledge. And I'm saying I can't help them. No, no, that didn't feel right to me. And so I started my firm. Um, and I, and it's called your greatest contribution. I didn't want to make this about me. I wanted to make it about my clients. And so I asked my clients, you know, what is it that you want your greatest contribution to be? And they share that with me. And now it's my job to make sure that they have the foundation, whether from a career standpoint or a financial standpoint to make that happen. So that's why I started my firm. Cause I wanted to help people who wanted help. Not everybody wants help. But for those people who are reaching out and saying, hey, I'm willing to pay something. Can you help me? Can you help us sister out? I want to be there to help them. <laughs> <laughs> so you start your, your firm and you have this great vision. You have this great story. Um, it sounds like you might have even some clients lined up just from the work that you've done previously in your natural network. Was it easy starting your business? Hannah, again, I believe if you walk in your purpose Things are not, things will not be hard. I launched my firm and I take that back. When you walk in your purpose, thing, things will not be impossible. Yes, things will be hard, but it will not be impossible. I believe that when you put out in the atmosphere what your goals and desires are, it conspires with you not against you. And so I started, again, seeds that I've been planting for years that I didn't even know was going to become fruitful when I started my firm. Like when I started out in this profession, I didn't, I had no inkling that I was going to start a firm. I had no desire to start a firm. Um, you know, yeah, it, it just so happened <laughs> to happen. <laughs> but when you, but but when you walk in your purpose, things are not impossible. They're possible. And I left my firm, the second firm, October 31st on Halloween. That was my last day. And I opened my virtual doors 
of YGC on December 1st. And I got my client, my first client within the first two weeks of me launching my firm. And she called me and um, randomly, like, uh, you know, I didn't even know how to answer my business phone. Like, um, uh, hello, uh, Rianca Dorsonville with your greatest contribution. How can I help you? Like, I'm still learning. And before I got the phone, she was like, yep, you're exactly who I want. I want to work with a woman and I want to work with a woman of color. Um, and I'm so happy I found you because wow. I've been looking for years. Wow. And so I was the right at the the right person at the right Google search. <laughs> and she hired me right off the bat. And then I got another call the following day. And I was just like, wow, okay. Like I don't have any fears anymore. This is what I'm supposed to do. And um, so yeah, it, again, like, when you're walking in your purpose and when you're doing what it, what you're supposed to be doing, you're bringing your full self forward. The world will conspire with you, not against you. So let's talk about some of the other projects because you're not just a financial planner or just a business owner. You got that right, Hannah. So, okay. There might be even more things that I don't know about. So you've been mentioned... <laughs> President. Yes. Served in the national leadership there. You're on the um, CFP Pro volunteering campaign. a lot of time with the, C- yeah, with mm-hmm. the campaign. Um, CNBC Financial Advisor. Yeah, CNBC Financial Advisor. Um, you have a new podcast, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Is there any – what else is there? Right. Let's see. What What in the world is Rianca doing? Um and it's so funny because when people see all that I'm doing, they're, they're just like, how? And I'm like, you learn to build a really great team around you. Like you see me on stage. You see me on this podcast. You see me, but I couldn't do this without a really great team behind me. Um, I take that back. I couldn't do this with a really great team beside me because people work with me. They don't work for me. Um, and so that is the reason why I can do all of the things that I can do. And I think you named them all. Well, and I'm sure there's going to be more coming soon. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about your new podcast. You just launched it, um, at the time of recording, you just launched your first, um, intro episode. By the time this podcast airs, there'll be several episodes up, but it is 2050 trailblazers. Can you tell us the vision behind this podcast? Uh, Yes. Again, I've learned to stop fighting God and just listen. So remember when I launched YGC, it was because I was literally, I was literally put on my back and it was silence and it was just me listening to God. The same thing almost happened with this podcast, Hannah, (laughs) where, um, People started to come to me about diversity, inclusion, what can they do? And I felt like, and I, and I fought it because I'm like, just because I'm a woman, just, just because I'm the person, a person of color, I don't have all the answers. Like, I, I don't know everything. And so I fought it for so long when people would reach out to me wanted to talk about a podcast about diversity. I'm like, no, I'm a, you know, I'm much more than 
a woman of color in this profession. Like I have expertise in other things. Like, don't just talk to me about that. And so I, I fought it for so long. Um, and then, you know, just things start happening in the background. Um, I started to notice that when people did go on podcasts and start talking about diversity within the profession, um, I would follow up and, and look at these group chats and it was negative commentary around it. And I'm like, how can diversity be negative? If anything, we should try to embrace it because America is growing to be a beautiful melting pot. And our profession needs to look like the clients that we're, we are serving today and, and who, we're, who we are going to serve in the future. And by seeing that negative commentary and I started to see a division we already have enough division <laughs> in the world today. We don't need it in our profession. And I think the reason why, you know, this commentary became so negative and, um, you know, just people feeling threatened by the word diversity. And it's because the conversation happens so few and far in between. Like it's one episode out of 50. It's one panel session out of a whole conference that happens once a year. And so there's no continuous dialogue that's happening around diversity and inclusion. And so I was laying in bed. I was like, I need to do something. I fought it for a few months, Hannah. I was like, no, no. I'm too busy. Like I got, I got a whole bunch of stuff going on. I don't have time for this. And then I started to lose sleep where I couldn't sleep. And this started just small things. I would randomly go on Twitter and somebody is saying something and it's negative. I'm just, and so I would fall asleep with that. Or a, a couple of days later, I would go onto Facebook, look at look at some group chats and something else. I'm like, are you serious? Like, we can't be divided in this profession. We we just cannot be divided in this profession. And so I was like, okay, all right. Well, what vehicle, what avenue, what platform makes the most sense? And then the podcast, the podcast came about. Um, I didn't know what the name was going to be. I just knew we needed a space. Um, a very comfortable platform where people can just talk and be themselves, where it feels like Hannah, you and I are in my living room chatting. And it just so happens that thousands of people are just going to be listening to our conversation and it's an opportunity for them to listen. And so that's how the conversation goes on 2050 trailblazers it's conversation around um, just addressing the lack of diversity in the financial planning profession. We're engaging industry experts and leaders in this conversation so that we can encourage cultural awareness and cultural perspectives and figuring out ways to make a measurable impact. So we're just not talking the talk. Um, we want to figure out uh, First thing, one, we need to educate. So what is the state of the profession today? And the CFP board, they just, um, through the Center for Financial Planning, just released a press release by the time this airs, maybe like a month ago, um, just sharing the numbers. Um, and it's 
I don't see that as a negative thing. I see that as a positive. I'm like, all right, well, now we have a foundation. Now we have a, now we have the number. So now we can build upon that. Like we don't know where to go unless we know our starting point. So I don't see this as now we need to, um, you know, be negative towards the CFP board and say, well, why is there only 1200 African-American CFPs when there's 80,000? No, it's, well, how can we get more? Because we know that there's more than 1200 African-Americans in the United States. So, you know, and, and, and from a cultural perspective, there's a lot of cultural nuances that we need to learn um, as financial planners so that we can properly serve the clients the melting pot of clients that America is growing into. Um, and so again, this podcast is going to be able to shed light on that. Like, what does it mean to be, uh, uh, to have a client who had, who is from African descent, not necessarily African American, because those are, it's two totally different things or Asian descent and how they deal with money or Latino descent and how they deal with money or their fear of dealing with the public sector of money because of now this fear of deportation. So it it goes deeper than just, you know, the color of our skin. Like we have some culture around us um, and some nuances that we are fighting to deal with as clients. And if we're going to be great financial planners to our clients, we need to know, how to work with them, how to ask the appropriate questions, um, what is not okay to ask, you know, or how that could be um, deemed offensive. For so long, we have dealt with a, a, a small subset of America. We have, we have worked with pre-retirees and, and retirees who have a million dollars of investable assets. And it's a very homogeneous subset of clients. And now if we're going to not only expand our knowledge, but expand our cultural awareness, we have to listen and and not take offense to it and not feel threatened when you hear the word diversity. Well, what's so, I don't know if exciting is the right word. Maybe it is. What's so exciting to me about this idea of diversity within financial planning, especially is like, this is what makes us good at our jobs. Like the ability to listen to a client and understand them, the ability to listen to another advisor who I have a different background from. I mean, I'm not a person of color, but to hear that those stories, like that's what makes me good at my job. Like that's what gives me hope about diversity in financial planning. We should be the leading industry in diversity. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Hannah, you have hit the nail on the head. We need to be the example for other professions. Yes. And we can. That's the exciting part. Like we can set the foundation of what other industries and professions need to be doing. And you also said something else too, like just because we have different cultures or um, different backgrounds, there are some similarities that we've shared, you know, off air amongst each other where we have some similarities um, with our upbringing and all of that. So again, just building that relationship and that personal connection that, you know, it it goes, culture is, is, is an aspect of how we work with clients, but it's a huge aspect. And in order for us to, be really great planners, we have to understand that we have to look beyond um, just the dollars. And so that's why I started. <laughs> that's why I started 2050 Trailblazers. Like I felt, I felt with um, 
the connections that I have made throughout my career, uh, the panels that I have spoken on, the and 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 honestly, the the leadership that I have in this profession, I feel it's a responsibility. I can't go comfortably in this profession just doing the bare minimum. I can't. I just can't. That I feel like I have a larger responsibility and I have finally stopped running away from what I feel like another responsibility is for me. Yeah. Um which is being a vessel as we talk about diversity and inclusion. Again, I don't have all the answers, but I will bring people to the table who have some answers, who have great examples and who want to share best practices. And this podcast is just not for people of color. Like that's preaching to the choir. This podcast is for everybody. This is this podcast is for uh, industry leaders, professional leaders who want to make a difference, who want to bring cultural awareness into their firms for their personnel and also for their clients so that they can better serve their clients. This podcast is for the technology leaders in this profession who want to um, make their technology more comprehensive from a diversity lens. So we haven't even touched on the LGBT community. Um, and how it just says you can only do Mr. and Mrs. Well, what about Mr. and Mr. or Mrs. and Mrs.? Or what about, hey, don't call me that. Just I'm a human, you know? Um, so this podcast is for people who, again, want to be the disruptors in a positive way, but who want to bring the profession forward, who want to move the profession forward. Um, and the only thing you have to do is listen. And if you feel... Like you can play a role in pushing the profession forward. That's when you raise your hand and that's when you reach out to either a, a guest on the podcast or you reach out to me and I've shared this on my podcast. Like I'm this platform is available for anyone who has solutions mm -hmm. and who, whoever wants to share solutions. Where can people find you find the podcast? Yeah. So you can go to 2050trailblazers.com. We're on all the social medias. Uh, it's at 2050TBS. Um, me, you can find me. <laughs> I'm at Rianca underscore D for most social media platforms, for Twitter, for Instagram, um, uh, Facebook. I have a, you know, public facing uh, Facebook profile, Rianca R. Dorsonville. Rianca is spelled R-I-A-N-K-A. <laughs> so... Your firm name is your greatest contribution. So I have to ask you, what do you want your greatest contribution to be? Ah, that's a good question, Hannah. Oh, goodness. <sighs> it has been said that the wealthiest place on this planet is not gold mines or diamond mines. It is the graveyard because there lies the dreams that never came to reality or mm -hmm. inventions that were never acted upon. And so my greatest contribution will be for me to continue to give my full self to this profession and to not hold back and to stop running from my callings. Whenever my last day is on this earth, I want God to say, well done. 
Today's podcast is brought to you by Signature Investors. Signature is a national network of independent advisory firms committed to developing the next generation of financial advisors and creating sustainable businesses to serve clients and their families for years to come. Signature's advisor team model provides a blueprint for establishing a team, including various defined career paths from internships to lead advisor positions. To download this blueprint, visit adviceteams.com forward slash FPA and learn how to start building your team today. Thanks ever so much to Rianca for joining us today and for sharing such a powerful and personal journey. Be sure to check out her podcast at 2050trailblazers.com. Much like with her story, we hope that you'll be challenged and encouraged to leave a lasting impact as the financial planning profession grows. Thanks for listening.